Welcome in to Revealing Grace. This is a podcast focused on the revelation of God's redeeming grace throughout all of Scripture and the power that it has to transform lives eternally. I'm Chris Sobeck, and here in a moment you'll get to hear from Dr. Brian Chapel. Now, Brian's name may be very familiar to you, or this may be the first time that you've heard his name. Um, a little information about Brian, he is the pastor of the historic Grace Presbyterian Church. He's also the president emeritus of Covenant Theological Seminary and a faculty member of both national and international seminaries. He is a teacher that has traveled throughout the world and has written countless books. Probably the most well-known of his books is christ Center Preaching, which has been translated into multiple languages and is used throughout the world at various seminaries. When Brian and I were discussing uh, creating a podcast, we really wanted to give an opportunity for people to see a little bit behind the scenes of what it means to be a pastor and how to present sermons, uh, how to present a message to a group of people, whether it's small or large, how to craft that, um, and at the end of the day, how to make sure that the message of God's grace is always being presented because that message is shown throughout all of Scripture. And we'll get into that a little bit more in this episode. Since some of you may not know Brian all that well, this episode is really just focused on him, an opportunity for him to share a little bit of his story and for you to get to know him a little bit better. If you are familiar with Brian, um, maybe you'll you'll still learn something new that you didn't know. Uh, we want this entire podcast to to kind of be more of an intimate, uh, casual look at uh, being a pastor and, and at Brian. And so I hope you enjoy this episode, the first episode of Revealing Grace. I anticipate that a lot of people know who you are, Brian, but if they don't, uh, I want to give <laughs> I want to give people a chance to, to kind of get to know you a little bit better. So whether we call this episode one or episode zero, we have a kind of a plan for the future, but this one is just kind of getting to know Brian. So um, Brian, I wanted to, to allow you to share a little bit about yourself um, and we don't need to get into everything, but basically uh, why don't you share just a little bit about how is it that you chose to get into ministry? Did you grow up in a Christian home? Were you um, all, always aspiring to be a pastor growing up? I did grow up in a Christian home, but I was not always aspiring to be a pastor. In fact, that would have been something pretty far from my aspirations as I was uh, as I was growing up. So, um, my if people know a little bit of theology, my father was a what is known as primitive Baptist. That doesn't mean like you know uh, mastodon primitive and you know Neanderthal. No, primitive meant apostolic. So he was a a pastor, an elder, kind of a lay leader, but also a preacher in a little bitty splinter Baptist denomination in the South. And uh, as as he would preach, I learned a lot from my dad about preaching, but his theology was very different from my mother. And so when we would come home from church, it was often very bitter and hard arguing over what the Bible really taught. And so I was raised in a home where people deeply believed the scriptures, but were deeply divided over what it meant. And the consequence was a lot of the difficulties in my parents' marriage got poured into their theological differences. And that really, the theology wasn't really where they struggled. It was other things, but that was kind of, you know, the symptomatic display 
of where their struggles were. So when it came to be somebody who would talk about the Bible a lot, there was nothing in me that wanted to do that. Hmm. I mean, for me, uh, preachers meant arguing, and the Bible meant getting real mad at other people when they don't agree with you. So it, it wasn't until much later that the Lord kind of led me into a sense of what can you really do for people's good with the scriptures and and why might it be a nice thing to be a preacher? Hmm. So I, I know you mentioned there was a lot of tension uh, because of, of some of the differences theologically and in some of the backgrounds. What sort of impact that did that have on you outside of just not necessarily having any sort of aspiration to be a pastor initially, but were there any sort of ramifications or even things that you you saw into adulthood? Sure. I mean, when I was in my my teen years, my my parents came apart for the first time. Mm. And if you're a, a kid who loves the Lord, but also maybe kind of artistic in temperament, um, I think I just kind of went on numb, just just kind of like I'm just callous over so I won't get hurt. And and so I think I was largely affected by being dispassionate, kind of non-relational, non-emotional, just just trying. And yet inside, I'm actually kind of tender as a personality. And so I think I was kind of living at odds with myself, and that that created those internal tensions that the Lord later used. But I had to learn a lot about what it meant to be sensitive and care and and actually feel things again when I got. Uh, into married life, got into ministry to actually say, you know, just being callous is is not the sign of being spiritual. Just briefly about myself, you know, with my dad being a pastor growing up, if there was any tension at all in the home, I almost was like embarrassed by that. You know, I, I wanted to be a, the good Christian kid. And and so I didn't want anyone to know that there ever were problems, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that that kind of carried on even all the way up until maybe about college. So did you ever find yourself feeling like you you couldn't share about that, or or feeling self conscious about the fact that there was tension in your home? Or you mentioned your your parents separating. Right. Well, tension came from lots of directions, and sometimes because my parents were in tension with each other, uh, but did not want neighbors and family to know it. A lot of that was uh, becoming very controlling of what they displayed and what their children displayed. So, you know, I can remember back when my brothers and I would would all get the Outstanding Camper Award at summer camp and go home and then be in immediate high tension because of my parents' struggle with each other. And you're kind of, this is odd, you know, here you've got these supposedly ideal kids, and yet when you actually kind of get under the skin in the real home situation, there is large tension that is being hidden by the controlling that is that is done in the situation. So yeah, I yes, there were there were consequences of one type of faith espoused and another type of faith lived. Hmm. Okay, so I obviously as you stated, not necessarily looking long term to become a pastor. So how did that happen? Yeah, well, you know, when I was when I was in high school, I I ran track with the son of uh, a man who was in my church who happened to also be the president of a theological seminary. And so as a consequence of just being friends of my fellow track runner, I would be in the home of that spiritual leader, the, the leader of a seminary. And when I got to college and was pursuing a law degree and pursuing broadcasting and things that the Lord would later use. But at the time, I was just kind of after fame and fortune. You know, how could I make the most money and the biggest name? 
But I was a believer. I mean, for all the difficulty of my upbringing, I was a believer. And when I got to my senior year in college and I was kind of going, all right, how much money can I make and how big a name? I, I knew that wasn't Christ priority for my life, but I wasn't sure what else you're supposed to. You got to college, you got a college degree, you're supposed to make a lot of money, you're supposed to make a big What else there is there? And, and ultimately, Thanksgiving in my senior year of college, I drove to the town where I'd run track with that son of that seminary leader, and I went to that seminary leader and I said, I am really confused. You know, I, I want to serve God, I'm a believer, but here I am about to start down a career of some sort as a senior in college, and all I want to do is make a lot of money or make a big name, and I know that's not what Christ wants, but I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. And he, he invited me to come to seminary for a year to figure out my priorities. And I said, uh, you know, seminary, everybody's all, you know, cloistered and, and sheltered and they don't really know the real world. And he said, well, may, maybe they little, know a little more reality than you think. And the consequence was, he said, why don't you come to seminary for a year and we'll give you a scholarship. And that, that, that appealed to my pride. So, so I went to seminary for a year. I did not discover, by the way, until 20 years later, that he'd been the one who provided the money for the scholarship. So that was yeah, that's that, amazing. That, that yeah. was that was wow. a wonderful thing. But the real consequence was the Lord took me into that situation where looking at scripture and being invited to a little bitty country church where I could share the scriptures from time to time. You know, just I was a seminary student, they didn't have to pay much, they couldn't pay a full-time preacher. And I would go and preach every now and then and the the consequence was I learned to love sharing the Word of God. I didn't know I would. Hmm. I was kind of running from a career I didn't know but didn't think was right, and the Lord used that to give me a joy in saying what the Word of God says to help people, because I needed the help, and I was finding out how God helps people in His Word and teaching that, and it just meant everything to me. Hmm. So you had pursued broadcast undergrad, as, mm -hmm. as you stated. What specifically were you initially thinking you were going to do? <laughs> this will take a few people, but it's a Watergate era. So, you know, I wanted to to be, uh, you know, the next great news reporter who was revealing well, the government scandals yes. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, saving the world. And, um, you know, one of my really striking moments, I was actually a news reporter for a local newspaper in Indiana and um, as part of my college internship. And in that internship, I had this great opportunity. There was, there was somebody who was going to jump off a building to kill themselves. And, and I, because I kind of look like the young firemen and patrolmen that were going into the building to rescue the guy, I kind of worked my way into their crowd and, and got up to the high rise and got in the apartment where there were no other journalists. You know, I kind of had snuck in. Scandalous. It was scandalous. Yeah. You know, and, I, and, and, I, and so I'm, I'm congratulating myself, you know, that I've snuck into sure. the front line of this, of this story, of this person who wants to jump off a building. And the policeman and the firemen started trying to talk him down. And all I wanted to do was help. But as a journalist, I was supposed to be objective and stand apart. And it was, it was a changing moment for me because I thought, this is not what I want to do for a living. I don't, I don't want to stand apart and report on what happened. Mm -hmm. I mean, again, I was a believer. I was a Christian. I didn't know all that, that meant, but, but I, I wanted to help somebody. I wanted to make a difference. I wanted to talk him down and talk him away. And um, 
the man did not jump. But at, at the same time, it was it was something strange in my own heart saying, all right, so can I get on the radio, get on TV and talk a lot and and just report what's happening in the world? Or might God be calling me to change things that are in the world? And that was another little piece in the puzzle of the Lord teaching me what it would be to to have a transforming role and not just a reporting role in people's lives. Mm. And obviously, you know, training in communication uh, has served you well <laughs> <laughs> as you continue uh, to communicate. But uh, that that's interesting. I had not heard that story. Um, You've heard every story I've ever I know, told, that's Chris. Why, that's why I'm surprised. <laughs> that was a like, new wow, one, that's, huh? That's really good. <laughs> I must be really good at interviewing that I was able to get a new story out. But no, that's, that's wonderful. Um, okay, so you're you're in seminary. Obviously, that that stuck. But um, what was kind of some of your first experiences? Uh, I anticipate knowing uh, some of what you shared. You you probably felt pretty good about yourself initially. Like, man, I, I'm I'm a good student. I'm really good at uh, uh, presenting a message to a congregation. What were some opportunities that maybe you had that that perhaps stroked that ego a little bit? Yeah. So you know, even while I'm in seminary training to be a preacher there was a, a little church that called me to be their preacher so you know i don't even have a degree yet and and they're saying hey why don't, why don't you come be our preacher and so you know that stroked my ego surely you know appealed yeah. to my pride again and uh, as i look back you know i just want to uh, apologize to those poor people that i preached those early sermons to i i would actually take my my theology lecture notes into the pulpit with me you know thinking what they really need is more theology it's riveting too yeah, i'm yeah, sure riveting stuff yeah. and and you know i'll really impress them with my knowledge and and that sort of approach and ultimately the lord was changing me but i think early on i was i was just kind of doing the data dump you know or the you know the theology load you know just load them up on theology that'll fix them sure and not really thinking about how God's truth was intended to transform people, nor that transformation was just was about more than just behavior change. You know, I think because my own uh, childhood and my own teen years had been such a struggle of being controlled and behaving right, that for me, a lot of what Christianity was now, I wouldn't have said this on a test, you know. But in reality, deep in my heart was, you know, Christianity is just being under control. You know, it's just it's just behaving right. And I think a lot of my early ministry was just telling people to behave right. And I, I was not thinking that that's really contrary to the gospel, that if people think that they're right with God because they behave right, they're, they're depending upon their performance rather than upon their Savior. Now, would I have gotten that correct on a test? Of course. But, you know, there's something deep down in you and the way that you're raised and the way that you react to crises and the way that you react to people and the way that you try to control yourself that may be foreign to the gospel and you don't even realize it. And and I think I was living a lot of that, you know, God will love me because I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay. And and not understanding that my Savior died for me when I was his enemy and loved me no less than when than even when I was out of control, that, that his love was not based upon my control or my behavior, but rather my union with his son, my, my confidence in what Christ had done for me. It, again, I would have gotten the answer on a test. I really would have. 
But if it was just a matter of sharing with people from the Word of God, from some text, I would say, straighten up, fly right, do better, now let's have the benediction. And not really realize even what I had communicated. Said the right words, yes, said the right words, told them to do right things, but not understanding that I was taking them away from the grace of the gospel and deep into dependence upon their own performance. So what changed? Well, now I know you've heard this story. <laughs> because <laughs> I, I tell a lot because I, it, I it it you know, it is what changed me. So I after being in that little church, you know, I was asked after getting my degree to be the pastor of a fairly large and historic church and thought I knew what to do because I'd been to seminary. But I I was not prepared for the real struggles of life nor the crisis that was about to come upon that church. So that church was in a a mining farming area, and uh, soon after I arrived, the Environmental Protection Agency changed the standards for the mining of coal in our area because it was high sulfur coal, soft coal, couldn't, couldn't be marketed in the United States anymore. And as a consequence, there were thousands of people that were out of work in our region in, in no time. And when you take people who've had good-paying jobs, uh, solid, dependable work, kind of um, ego-satisfying, secure jobs, and suddenly it's all gone, then, then life changes entirely. And where there may have been stable homes and stable personalities, suddenly you've got stress in people's marriages, abuse, divorce, adultery. People will medicate any way they can. There are all kinds of addictions that begin to take over as people stop you know, they just can't stand their lives anymore, and they, they, they just don't know how to numb themselves to what's going on, and depression everywhere. Mm. And what I tried to do to help people, this, this person who was so performance-oriented himself, is I would say to them, stop it. Just stop it. It says right here in the Bible, you shall not be drunk on much wine. So stop drinking. And it says right here in the Bible, you shall love your wife as Christ loved the church. You may not hit her. Stop it. And if you're depressed, well, rejoice in the Lord. And I'll say it again, rejoice. Just stop being sad. And, and you're smiling at me, Chris, because you, you know how ineffective this was. And I said stop it so often I could not stand me anymore. And ultimately made that call to my wife's parents, and we said, we may be come to live with you. Because I had said to Kathy, my wife, I said, you know, I did not go to seminary to hurt people. And I stand in the pulpit every Sunday, and I hurt people, and I can't do it anymore. And we told her parents, I don't know what I'm going to do for a living, but it's not this, not this preacher thing, because I can't stand me anymore doing this. And the thing the Lord brought into my life was uh, the works of a man I've, I've grown to deeply respect. His name was Sidney Gradanus. And strangely enough, he was looking at a controversy in the Dutch church a hundred years before, you wonder, how in the world is this helpful? And here's what he was saying. How do you preach the heroes of the Bible? You just say, well, you know, David had a lot of faith, so he beat up Goliath. You know, Goliath said, am I a dog? You come against me with a sling. And David said, you come with sword, javelin, and spear. I come in the name of the Lord. And I know that's, that's to teach people they should have faith like David. But then why did David sleep with Bathsheba? And why did he murder her husband? And why did he raise bad kids? And why does the Bible tell that story? 
And I began to recognize that what that man, Sidney Gradanus, was saying in his book is, you know what, if you will tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth, there's only one hero in the Bible, and everybody else needs him. The one hero is Jesus. And as obvious as that may be to me now, it was revolutionary because what I was able to say to the people in my church was, if, if God could provide a Savior for people as messed up as those in the Bible, then maybe there's still hope for you if your life is a mess. And it wasn't just my people that needed to hear that message. I mean, there was somebody else who believed he had messed up, who needed a little hope again. And, and that was me. And when I began to recognize the Bible is providing the hope of the gospel for messed up people, I didn't just see light go on in the eyes of depressed and hurting and abusive and wandering and addicted people in my church. I, I had hope again. And it changed, it changed the course of my life, of my preaching, and everything I've tried to do since is say, please, don't be like me. <laughs> you know, please follow another path. And there's a good path, and it's to tell people of the hope that is threaded all the way through the Bible, all the way through, on every page. There is the message of God providing for people who cannot provide for, the, for themselves God is saying, you are not your Redeemer, but I'll provide you one, so trust in me. And that's the message from the first page to the last. I, I'm not saying Jesus magically appears on every verse or page of the Bible. I am saying the grace of God is being unfolded, revealed. That's the why we're revealing grace, right? God is revealing his grace in all the Bible so that all the Bible is ultimately pointing toward God's Son who gives us hope. And when we have hope, we have joy, and when we have joy, we have strength. So that's what we're about, helping people see the grace that unfolds everywhere so they have a little joy of the Lord that is their strength. You know, if our listeners haven't heard uh, some of that story, some of your story, you know, it's always so powerful every time I hear that. And and that's something that we want to be able to get into within this podcast is sharing how that that message of of God's grace is revealed, as you were saying, and um, and we'll we'll do more of that in in coming episodes um, to kind of wrap a little bit of a, of a nice bow on things. Um, kind of share how you you first sort of started uh, as a pastor. Um, can you? <laughs> here's the challenge. Can you summarize in a few sentences? Uh, what has happened since and how you got to where you are now? So, <laughs> good luck with that. Yeah. Uh, I pastored for for about seven years, um, and then the Lord gave me opportunity to teach others to preach. And you know, I was asked by uh, the very school, by the way, that I had attended, where uh, Dr. Rayburn, the man who had invited me down, had paid for my tuition. I was ultimately invited to teach people to preach. I will tell you when I started teaching first, even in that school. Um, it's the grace of God, not your performance, that causes God to love you. It's trust in Him, not trust in you. I will tell you, that was really hard on that school. Hmm. And, and I was the target of a lot of accusation that I was not teaching people really to be good. And um, after a couple of years, I quit. And then the president at the time, who had had something, the new president, who had had something of the same grace transformation that I had in his life, He'd, he'd gone through a depressive illness. He'd learned that God loved him, not because he was performing better than other people, but in his humility, God had reached him and 
not only redeemed him, but given him heart and life and, and a real hope again. And so he hired me because I'd had the same story. Mm. And when he hired me to be not only a professor again, but to be the dean who would hire new professors, um, that, that led me down a path. And ultimately, I became the president of that school and did that for about 30 years and then came and pastored uh, this sweet church in, in uh, central Illinois called Grace Presbyterian Church. Now, there's a good there name. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of worked out. Yeah. You know, an historic church, which, by the way, had experienced a lot of the same things. Mm-hmm. You know, some history built on performance, relearning what its name actually means. And then the sweetness of that. And, and the Lord's given us this opportunity, Chris, you and me, to... Uh, with the help of others, um, tell the world grace is not only better than you know, it's stronger than you know. And Jesus meant it when he said, if you, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. And what will make you love me? Knowing I loved you first. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and that sweet message is strength and is compelling. It is what the Apostle Paul said, the, the love of God compels us, constrains us. It's not, it's not just... I'll do whatever I want because Jesus loves me. It's actually, I'll do whatever he wants because he loves me so. And that's, that's where the heart goes and where we want to go to. And that was the first episode of Revealing Grace. I really hope that you enjoyed it and enjoyed listening to Brian share his story. Uh, This is really just the beginning of this podcast, and there's so much more that we want to do. We have so many ideas and so many things in store, whether it's talking about specific sermons and and dissecting some of uh, the illustrations that Brian gives and why he uh, decides to to share what he does when he does. Uh, We also want to talk to other people, let them share how God has revealed his grace in their lives. Um, So please hit the subscribe button. Also, if you're looking for more resources from Brian, you can go to brianchapel.com. His website is full of so many resources for ministry professionals, for pastors, um, for even lay leaders, or or maybe just your own personal walk and devotion time. There's so much there uh, to take and and really just ingest and let the Lord work through. Uh, If you are seeking more training, there are courses that you can take through his website. If you've enjoyed this, please, please hit the subscribe button. Uh, There's so much more to come, as I said, and so I don't want you to miss any of that. And that helps us too. So the the more people we get to subscribe, the more um, it's possible for us to continue doing this. So so please do that. Um, If you have any questions uh, or any comments for the podcast, for Brian, you can send them to revealinggrace at brianchapel.com. So revealinggrace at brianchapel.com, and we'll take a look at those. Maybe we can answer some different questions on the podcast. Uh, We hope that you tune in next time, and we look forward to having you listen again to the next episode of Revealing Grace.